Hello. Hi. Are we recording? Sure. Are we, are we actually recording? Are we good? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. All right. Hi, Jack. Don't, 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 no. Hi, Sean. Different times. Okay, you go first. Hi, Derek. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi, Richard. Hi, Sean and Derek. <laughs> We're joined by Richard Schneeman. Um, let's see. You work for Heroku on the Ruby Build Pack. Yeah. You are a Rails committer? Yeah. Yes. I have CommitBit to Rails. Yeah. Also a professor? Uh, I was an adjunct professor for the University of Texas at one point in time. They gave me an access card to buildings and students, and I got to make like grade papers it was was did they call you professor it's pretty exciting um yes until until they realized that uh i was prepared for like the how old are you question i was like i'm totally gonna lie about this and then one of them was like hey uh so when did you graduate from undergrad (laughs) and and then we realized that like some of them were older than me (laughs) Uh, but Uh, it it was a great group and it worked out pretty well well you look good in a lab coat so i mean that's all you need right thank you yeah Absolutely. So you gave uh, a talk uh, at this conference on making things fast. Yeah. Yeah. I like fast things. Right. I have a mechanical engineering degree. And it must have felt good because people got kicked out of the room because it was so full. Like me. <laughs> like Sean. Yes. Yes. They had to run a garbage collection iteration <laughs> over the room. There were no empty slots and we were memory bound. We had to swap. People were going in and out of the, of the room. That's, yeah. How that worked? Am I am I like straining this analogy too far? Can, no, can no. we go a little bit, a little Keep, bit further? Sure, whatever. <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> it's like fitting RSS in there somewhere. <laughs> Emacs, eight megabytes and constantly swapping. Mm. Eight mega audiences and no. okay. All right, we're done with yeah, this now. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But uh, yeah, no, the talk went the talk went really really well. I got a lot of really good feedback from it. I'm really interested in memory use, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heroku, all of our, we sell by the memory size, and I have people who say, like, hey, I'd like to get more, you know, like, I'd like to run my app, um, but I'm running out of memory. And right. wouldn't it be amazing if um, a lot of the gems that we use all the time, like, use less memory? And uh, So would it be fair to say that, in general, apps on Heroku tend to be memory-bound and not CPU-bound? Um, I think most Ruby apps are. That would be okay. my, my best... Um, like I do like benchmarking things, and so if I could come up with an accurate, reliable benchmark to prove that to you, I totally would. But I'm just going to go with my gut and say yes. <laughs> so you've had a couple of interesting commits, right? So uh, what was it? You, we removed the Raggle state machine from the mail gem. Uh, the yeah, the mail gem parses is capable of parsing incoming email, though though most people don't use it. And what what happened? It was using a, a parser called Treetop, and Treetop is great, but it it was a little slow. And somebody came in; they volunteered to use the Regal parser, and it sped it up by a tremendous amount, um, you, just blowing metrics out of the water. Unfortunately, when they did this, the the code that they introduced was much much larger, so it added about. I wish I had my slides right in front of me. I it maybe like twenty megabytes. I think that 20, sounds yeah. familiar. About twenty megabytes of overhead just to add this parser that most people aren't using. Right. Most people aren't parsing email unless you're, I don't know, Mailchimp or something. Accepting sure. inbound email, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, then, like, even uh, does Griddler actually use the Mailgem to do the parsing? Do you know? I'm not Caleb. I don't. I don't know. Okay, we'll ask Caleb. <laughs> Let's call Caleb. <laughs> Caleb. We'll, put, we'll use our phone a friend. Hang on. Yeah. 
Um, and 50, then 50-50? <laughs> well, it's already 50-50. It, 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 it is a yes or no question. So it would be perfect. It would eliminate it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then what? So right now you're working on reducing the amount of things loaded by the MIME types spam? Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people don't realize, but MIME types is required by everything in the history of mankind. Yeah. And it takes up, right now it takes up about 20 megs. So it's like 20 megs seems to be a really popular number. How do you, how do you store MIME types and take up 20 megs of RAM. Like how what how does how does this happen? So uh, what the MIME type gem does is, if you're not familiar, MIME types would store like uh, content types, so like uh, application HTML and like common file extensions like .html, and you could do something like say, hey, um, somebody is is sending me something with you know a .html, like what type of a header should I put on this? What type of a right. content type should I put on this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the MIME types gem is just basically a giant blob of a ton, a ton of that information, about one thousand eight hundred and. 70, 69, 79 Some, sounds something like uh, that. <laughs> of those, and then it gets read in at boot time, and then we generate 1,800 and a lot of objects, uh, and then those are retained in memory and never, ever released. So, And then in Rails proper, right, literally the only thing we ever use it for is, is this request JSON? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, in a lot of places, you only need, like, one or two or three, but yet we have to keep everything in memory. So is that what's in Rails? Is that what's driving those, like, when I do those format blocks? And I say, like, or is that actually the, ex- that is actually the extension on the request, isn't it? Um, it depends. Yeah, uh. well, I, and so, so it, in order to do things like, um, I think, Carrier Wave, if you're doing, like, file uploads and you're and you and, you, right. and you're, up, you're accepting a bunch of different things and you're storing them in S3, it's like... I want to be able to say if um, if I'm storing like a JPEG, then whenever I serve it, I can serve it with the right content type, so that the browser says, "Oh, this this is a JPEG," and I know how to I know how to render a JPEG, and it'll do the right thing, as opposed to just being like, "Here's a here's a binary blob," <laughs> that it's like I don't know what this is. And then we do the we do the reverse too in the controller layer, right? So if you are using an accept header instead of an explicit extension, we'll use the we'll use the same gem to say like, "Okay, what is the actual?" Basically, is this JSON? Yeah. <laughs> Does this accept header mean JSON? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you can do like the JSON or dot you know XML, and right. Like dot, right? Dot HTML if you really want to get crazy. So, how do you make it take less memory? Um, that is a great question. Uh, if you would tell me, then I can just go and implement it. And now we have a we have a bunch of ideas. One of them, what I'm currently working on right now, is storing the same amount of data, um, but in a much much smaller object. Uh, and then doing kind of a, a lazy load where we do the sa- exact same um, lookup, but then whenever uh, we actually find something and we say, yes, we're going to use this, then we promote it into the slightly more heavyweight uh, MIME-type object. So that's one way. Um, the actual JSON parsing and loading is potentially taking up a lot of memory, so we've been I've been playing around with a bunch of different ways to do that. If I had already done this <laughs> successfully, then I could totally answer your question. <laughs> that's um, great. It's good to hear ideas. Uh, yeah, I was... Um, I was just talking with Jeremy from uh, the author of SQL, just got the Ruby Hero Award, and uh, and he's actually got a patch into the Mail Gem, which also uses MIME types. <laughs> Everything, it's like with the Mail Gem for some reason. Um, <laughs> and to actually just just uh, remove it totally and use a very a lightweight implementation instead. But, like, the problem is everything has trade-offs, right? Like, mm-hmm. everything has, like, pros and cons, and we don't want to sacrifice speed, but we also don't want to use so much memory, like... So, yeah, there's a lot of benchmarking, trial and error, a lot of scientific process 
which is what my talk was on. Not not trial and error. We it's don't all, like science. It's all, it's all scientific trial and error. We don't like science. Well, it is, it is a little bit like, I, I, well, I mean, it definitely is. It's maybe not like formally the scientific method, right? But like, <laughs> but it is important. Like, I think we, even making small small adjustments in our apps for performance, like we guess a lot mm-hmm. rather than measuring. Oh, totally. And we're like, um, this will be faster. And some things you know, right? You're like, this is an N plus one query. Guess what? If I do include, it's going to be faster. Like, exactly. That's because somebody has already done the science for you. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty obvious then anyway. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's, a, it's a known. It's right. like in math where it's like this theorem is like proven, therefore. Right. Sure. But there are many times where we're just like, uh, maybe I'm allocating too many objects. Let's just do this and see if, and like, it's a bunch of work and then you commit it and you're like, well, it was not any better. Yeah. Or like you had an example where you were like, great, I'm just going to do this. and It's going to be so much better. And I can't remember the specific example. And then it turned out it was slower. It was like ratcheting up the number of um, sidekick mm-hmm. workers mm-hmm. or whatever they call them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was working on something. I thought it was CPU bound. And so I added, I doubled the number of threads and it turns out it was not CPU bound. That actually made it slower. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, wait a second, this more of these things are like better. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like a kid who gets like a candy bar and it's like one candy bar is great. 10, like 10 must be like even better. And then they're just like, my stomach hurts. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also interesting to me that like we're in a position now, like, I don't know, when I was doing development first, like, 10 years ago for companies, like, we had these big, beefy servers, and memory didn't matter. I feel like memory didn't matter as much. And now we've swung back to having more, smaller servers where memory matters a lot more? Is that, am I wrong about this feeling of how things were going? Like, we used to buy these giant, beefy servers to to serve, like, some silly little ASP website. Were you running Ruby on those servers? No, we were running ASP. <laughs> Ru- Ruby.asp? Is that? No, that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, I think that's a big part of it, right? Is that we actually just are consuming more memory because we're using these higher level languages that aren't necessarily built to not use a lot of memory. But like, what's my memory on a, on a 1x Heroku box? It's the same as it was <laughs> when we first started. It's 512 megabytes of RAM. Right, and that's no way. Like, these servers we were buying had, like, gigabytes of RAM, right? Yeah, so, and, like, so I, I think some of the, one of the big things that's changed is the paradigm of how people want to develop. Right. Um, Heroku started becoming polyglot, like, right before I started working for them. And um, it was really difficult getting Java developers to use Heroku because all Java developers are used to, you know, having a box with this huge 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 amount of ram and just like it's just like oh we need more performance more cores more ram more disk and it's just only vertical like they only ever vertically scale and a lot of the default frameworks and everything actually expect they have like sticky sessions uh where they expect to be hitting the same box um versus uh, ruby is so it ruby doesn't vertically scale that well like i mean we can do we can, we can do processes and there are unicorns and stuff like that um but it, it actually Kind of from the beginning, it, it made it made more sense to, um, like, we were almost in the CGI sort of mindset where, where we're like, hey, we want a lot of really small processes. And I think actually the entire industry is now moving around to more, like, small disposable containers that um, it's like, oh, if we want to scale, like, we want to be... No, people can't see this right now. I'm doing air quotes, uh, <laughs> web scale. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that that means many multiple servers as opposed to at one point in time, it's like you're going to run out of RAM expansion slots. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and different languages can take advantage of those things in, in different different ways. Like I think Ruby is explicitly well-suited to many instances across kind of a horizontal 
scaling pattern. And it's also like when you do get into that situation where you're like, well, I'm out of RAM on this box, so I need to buy another box. And it's like, well, here's $10,000 more. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, and like, exactly. And then all of a sudden the site is not as important and you have these three $10,000 servers that are sitting there. And you're like, uh, well. Oops. <laughs> and 10 months signing contracts. And then they actually get installed. Yeah. So I think even outside of Ruby, like you were saying, people are starting to realize that like that's an expensive way to scale. And we can do this a little more if we're... Willing to make trade-offs, like everything we mentioned mm-hmm. is a trade-off, right? Well, and you also used to be able to just be like, let's Moore's Law it out, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't think that's really an option anymore. Doing that's a lot more expensive than it used to be. Totally. Yeah, just in, in general, I, one of the things I think actually cloud computing has changed the paradigm where a lot of people are actually thinking more of of the resources that they need to use. And they like previously, like you said, it's like you just buy the, the biggest box you can but, and you find ways to try and use it. And like, and now it's you, there is an actual direct cost with that. And if you're a super small startup or you're, you're the pre startup phase and, and you're working on something, it's like, obviously you want to be able to run on like the free Heroku tier, or the $5 digital ocean or the, you know, uh, AWS promotional, thing and I, I do think that actually drives some of some of the uh, desire to run smaller and, and more agile mm-hmm. so um, I mean clearly things that benefit apps that run on Heroku is, is a big is a big focus for you I, I remember the first time you and I actually started interacting was you asked for somebody to volunteer to pair with you and we deprecated uh, path helpers and mailers yes I love email. <laughs> yeah. You can tell. Um, so, I mean, I do a bunch of work with students. Um, and also, just in, in my own work, uh, I, was, I was sending out emails. And for a week, um, I was sending out all these emails with links that just didn't work because they were relative URLs. And it wasn't until somebody, like, took the time to, like, find me on Twitter and, like, be like, hey, my emails don't work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm sending out emails. And then, like, I had to look up the thing and be like, oh, so, like, one in, in addition to performance, one of my – I call it, like, the 10,000 paper cuts. It's just, like, a, of a developer. Like, you run into all of these errors and these exceptions, and some of them hurt more than others. And, and some of them, it's like you get the paper cut, and you don't even know you got the paper cut until, like, the next week or the next month. And those are the ones that really hurt. Right. Whoops, you've already, sent out, you've already sent out 10,000 of these emails that have relative links in them that yeah. nobody can click on anything. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, you're, you even tested them, and you were like, this thing should have a link, too. And you used your path helper there. Yep, exactly. And you're like, look, at the test pass. What are you talking about? There's definitely a link here. Yeah, and you get the email, and the links show up, like, in blue or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, and, and you're not going to click on every link on every single, yeah, no. So I, um, this was a kind of a fail fast sort of, sort of a thing where it's like, yeah, let's, you, you know, these shouldn't work. Right. <laughs> um, the, like you shouldn't be allowed to do the wrong thing. It's like, there's no good. There's no case in which you want a path in an email. So we actually, we got some pushback. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, like I, like the, I, I feel like the people who were pushing back were wrong and the people who were doing, the, so the examples that were given was like, if you actually put the root URL manually and then you want to put oh, the path yeah, after yeah. it, but it's just like, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can pass host to the to the to the URL helper, yeah. Yeah, so but so that that and that that actually ended up being what was our saving grace is there was still an out, right? Um, if you still wanted to manually specify this, but yeah, so I will say dealing with Rails and also dealing with Heroku, like anytime you're like, oh, it's you know, it's an edge case, and it's like just the sheer number of people who use, you know, both our service and who use Rails, it's like I guarantee you there is somebody there are like. <laughs> You're probably hitting thousands of those edge cases like per hour. Yeah, Which, every change breaks somebody's workflow. Yes, yeah. Right. It's like no matter how wrong that workflow is. Right. Spacebar overheating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll totally. link to the XKCD in the show notes. <laughs> totally. 
Let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week. It's Code School. Code School is an online platform for learning different languages and technologies. They've got everything. So if you're already a Ruby on Rails developer, what can you get out of this, right? So I work with a, Ruby, a lot of Ruby on Rails developers and myself also can use a lot of brush up on SQL skills. So if I go to Code School today, I'm going to find uh, a couple different courses on SQL. And the second one especially gets into a lot of more advanced topics like how to do aggregate functions and things like that. So if you need to brush up on your SQL skills, for instance, Code School is something excellent to check out. They have lots of different um, things, not just SQL. They've got design and development courses as well. Uh, I was just talking with some coworkers over lunch about what they like about Code School, and they all universally said that all of the lessons were fun. So each one has a nice theme that's really kind of lightens the mood and brings you into it. Um, they all have jingles, which are very delightful. And also, if you're just if you just find yourself like on the train or with some time to kill somewhere, they've got a free iPhone and iPad app that you can use to interact with Code School on the go. And uh, this month, Code School has given us a bunch of free one-month subscriptions to give out to you all. So uh, if you want to be eligible for one of those subscriptions, you can leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll randomly select uh, a few people throughout the month and distribute them to you that way. Thanks again to Code School for sponsoring this episode. One thing I wanted to talk about was, as I was preparing my talk, which was on code review, mm -hmm. I like solicited, I talked to like Caleb and a couple other people, and I was like, can you send me some good open source commits? And by that, I meant, like, not, like, what changed, but, like, excellent discussion, excellent, like, descriptions, a lot of context, right? Mm. And I think Caleb linked me to, like, five of yours. So, like, I... Awesome. The bribes have been working. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We actually have Caleb and me and John Yurick at ThoughtBot actually have, like, we've talked about doing this. We don't actually do it as, like, uh, commit of the month or commit of the week where we just, like... <laughs> like try to one-up each other or we find ones online that are really good where it's like look at all the effort i put into the message in this commit mm -hmm. so i think that's super important i don't know where i was going with this but like obviously you value it as well and like yeah so i i work um <laughs> i work remotely and also all of my interactions with um with ma open source maintainers and anytime i've tried to like i'm an oversharer like I, I, I just when I talk with people, like I want to like over communicate. I really want them to know where I'm like coming from, and it like super stresses me out when somebody is like, um, "Hey, this thing didn't work," and I'm like, "Tell me more." <laughs> like I want to, like I want to know. I want to understand. And I, I also I used to, I spent a bunch of time reading open source issues. Um, I, I've got this thing. I'll totally plug in like two seconds. <laughs> And uh, and a lot of the issues, like I I felt like I was a pretty good programmer, but I just didn't understand the issues. And I get this pull request, and I like I did, like I can read through the code, but I'm like, what? I'm missing the context, and right. what is even going on? It was just so frustrating. So um, I wanted to have anybody who's reading my pull request. Hopefully, it's like it's like if it's a bug, say what used to happen and what happens now, what you expected and, and what you want to happen. It's like if it's performance, like what what was the performance before? What's the performance now? Like right. you're you're you are submitting a code change, so like let's provide the like mental model of what changed as well. Well, because if you write your code well, right, your code should very clearly say what it's doing. You should never need a comment that's saying like this code does X. The code should describe itself, but then you do oftentimes lose the Y. Mm -hmm. And you can put it in a comment, but if you put it in a comment, comments in code have a tendency to get out of sync, right? And the context changes, but commit messages have this beautiful this beautiful thing where they're linked to a piece of code at a specific point in time. And then you get back there via blame later, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I almost think of it as like an argument of like, hey, I wrote some code. I think you should maintain it. And here's my argument for right. why you should maintain it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's also like a good moment for like, like you said, like I get really excited about like a change. If I'm getting really excited about a change I made, like I want to let you know everything that was going through my head when I was making this change so that you're as excited about it as I am. Mm-hmm. Right? Totally. Like, Absolutely. Like trying to get somebody to maintain the code you wrote or even just like a teammate being like, look what I learned. Or maybe like you're like, oh, I know they don't know this. I'm going to teach them this, right? This will mm-hmm. be great. And you're like, right writing out this big thing and like now it's documented for everybody else like we talked about so i think that's super important and it's documented for you too like, right I, i've <laughs> yeah. gone back to my old pull request and pulled out benchmarks or code snippets that we used or it's like wait why did we do that right yeah no i, I have to explain this to the, to the turing schoolers all the time when we're explaining like stuff that you do for the benefit of other people mm. and they're like oh but i have to do this when i'm on when when i'm just on a project by myself and, and i'm like no, no no you don't get it other people includes you next week because you won't remember <laughs> what the heck you were thinking. Yes, absolutely. And um, one thing I could recommend, highly recommend to people interested in, in better uh, better code comments and better pull requests is uh, better issues. It's a little service I wrote called CodeTriage.com. CodeTriage.com. So, so CodeTriage.com. Code <laughs> so CodeTriage.com is <laughs> it's uh, it's this open source app that I wrote, and you put it. You go to CodeTriage.com slash Rails slash Rails, and it'll send you one uh, Rails issue a day, and it just it's like gift wrapped for you take a look at it and like you know see what other people are talking about eventually you can engage and like actually start helping out and it's just it's a great really lightweight way to to get involved also new and improved i um i have another service called docsdoctor.org docsdoctor.org <laughs> docsdoctor.org so who's the target audience of codetriage.com and who is the target audience of uh, docsdoctor.org Developers, <laughs> everybody. Okay, so every single person should be going to codetriage.com yes. and docsdoctor.org. Obvious. Well, so I think. So uh, what's doc? What does docs doctor do? It's it's instead of um, an open source issue, it sends you either a documented or undocumented method in the library of your choice. So if you're like, hey, I'd like to learn more about the methods in Rails or rack or ruby um it'll it'll send you you can choose i want documented methods or if you're like man i want some i want some really easy free almost free commits it's like send me undocumented methods and then the maintainers would be like wow thank you very much for this and then in the process like i actually love documenting code that i didn't write because that's when i it's like and adding examples and stuff and either i learn a bunch about it right then or like i submit it and they're like yeah this example is totally wrong and then i learn about it right you know and then it's a conversation so i, I would say code triage if you if you don't know where to get started in open source um and you want to just like join kind of the test the waters and just see what people are talking about and how people talk and like the language and just like it's almost like if you're you you've never been to a party ever before it's you get to stand in the in the shadows and you don't have to be out in the spotlight and be like okay you know this is people are moving in this kind of funny way rhythmically to move to music i and then you know eventually one day like you can go out there and like bust out your moves um and feel a little bit more confident with with docs doctor i think it's probably some people who are already relatively comfortable with issues who don't know where to actually start contributing, like directly contributing code. And like I think docs are uh, something in Ruby that we are undervaluing. Or not undervaluing, it's just not... That's not just Ruby. Well, yeah, so so um, it's interesting because I work with a bunch of other language people at, at Heroku and um, 
in Python, tests are kind of a thing in Python, but not nearly as big as in Ruby. In Ruby, it's like you do not ship until you have tests. Like if it's a library, like I look at the tests, I run the tests. Like tests are royalty, basically. And in Python, it's all about docs. How documented is your project? And I was like, wow, it'd be great if the docs in Ruby were like as good as the docs in Python. And that was actually my original motivator for like, how would we ever play catch up? You know, how would we ever, like, get to that point? Um, it's like, because people are already so used to just, you go into this library and there's not docs on any of the other methods. If you contribute a new method, why would you write docs for it? Right. And it's like, oh, well, maybe if people could go back and, like, they're already looking. It's like people, so, so many people come up to me and they're like, I just want one commit in Rails. That's mm-hmm. it. And then I'm done. I'm going to drop the mic. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, please, you know, do that. And, and it's valuable. And you'll... Also, it's kind of like, it's like the gateway drug. It's like, you'll yeah. be like, that felt awesome. And like, <laughs> I, I just, I loved it and uh, I want more. And anyway, that's yeah. the, that's no, not I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you, you clearly, you, you, it shows that you care a lot about the community of open source. I, I remember one thing that, that really stood out because we get a ton of issues per day on Rails. And it's usually the people who are responding, me, Raphael, and Matthew. And we're all really strained for time. So especially when we get the person who should have been on Stack Overflow, you know, we'll just be like, this should have, this should have gone on Stack Overflow close. And that mm-hmm. can come off as really, you know, it, it can come off as angry. And we don't mean it that way. But it's just like we're, 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 you know, we have to go through so many of these that we just, like, close them really fast. And I remember for, for a little while I was watching uh, the, the issues that you would close. And you would give this really, really thoughtfully well-worded, like, hey, uh, thanks a lot for opening for opening this issue. Unfortunately, the issues tracker, we reserve it only for bugs, and that's, like, something that used to work in 4.1, but it's broken in 4.2. Here's, and you would include links, and, like, you clearly put <laughs> a lot of thought into this, and it, but it makes a difference. It's also why I, like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't comment on nearly as many issues. <laughs> you need a text expander. Yeah. Like yeah, 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 totally. But, uh, no, and I, I do think, like, uh, I, I still, still feel bad to this day, like, closing somebody else's pull request yeah but at the same time like i do want that like people need to understand it's like a closed pull request is not like a net zero sum game like you learn so much about the library and you know like hopefully you learned why it was closed and you learn some you know some history and, and some things there and it'll help you so much more the next time and just having more like having more people who who do those types of of things and say why you know why this thing is closed or um, the biggest thing for me with like bug reports on Rails is just even responding and being like, uh, can you tell me the versions that you're using right. is like, it takes a non-trivial amount of time. Yeah, no. And then especially getting them to use the bug report template, which is really, really important that we either have a report using the bug report template or a sample app that replicates the issue. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I didn't, like we talked to Godfrey and he mentioned those bug report templates and I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's the thing. And they're in the contri- like we have a section of our contributing guide, which is just how to report a bug to Rails, but nobody reads it. Well, the contributing guide is a it's like massive. There it needs to be some like EULA or something like that. You have to like scroll to the bottom and like uh, complete a quiz or something. Yeah. It's- we need to move the bug reporting section just to contributing.md because at the very least, GitHub gives you if you have that, it gives you the big yellow thing like please read this before opening an issue. Nobody, nobody, nobody that nobody's it. gonna read it, but it's 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 at least at least then we something have an excuse. At least then we can say like it's in this really accessible place and you had a pop-up saying please read it as opposed to right now there isn't there you have an excuse to not read it because why would you know it exists and why would you want to go through such huge document to open we, a bug uh, report the really weird thing to me about those types of issues and i've done it before where you don't realize you're giving incomplete information and you're like oh i didn't realize that was important to this. Mm-hmm. but there are times when it's just like i tried this and i got an error and it's like you're a developer 
you understand how frustrating it is when your users come to you and you're like, I tried this and I got an error. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> like op- open issue doesn't work. <laughs> what? Right. We get those all day. And like the, all you can do is roll your, like, what do you mean? What browser were you using? What do you, like, what were what record were you operating on when this happened? Like, give me as much information as you possibly have and I'll be able to help you. But it's really frustrating. It's, it's surprising to me. It happens a lot when developers do that because yeah. it's one of our chief problems i yeah. think like one that we face and that, well that's what we ask for right in rails is describe your issue in the form of a failing test case yeah no and 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 like i think github makes it really easy to do stuff like that and services like heroku <laughs> um, and i'm also interested in tooling of like so these really common problems on like large open source projects it's like nobody gets paid full time to work on issues in in rails so it's like well you know maybe someone used to <laughs> on on issues just issues. Oh well, you'll you'll notice full that time on issues. If you if you if you gra- if you graph the issue count, you'll see it you'll see it stayed steady for like two months while I was full time, and now it's going back up again. Also, <laughs> issues should totally be part of like the GitHub like graph thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, mine would be way more active, but. Um, I was totally going to say something. I'm sorry. No, it's uh, so. So I would actually be interested in it's like in like maybe some more bot type things. Like yeah. for for a while, um, uh, Raphael, who does a bunch of work with issues, like wrote kind of this little script that went and just like said, "Oh, all issues that are older than X that haven't nobody said anything." It's like just just leave a comment and be like, "Is this still an open issue?" And then and then like whoever did not leave a comment within the next week um, just wrote another bot that went and closed all of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like, maybe maybe it makes sense if somebody opens up an issue that is not a, a pull request to just have a bot, com- like, just comment on it and be like, hey, by the way, here's our bug report template. It's really annoying, though. Like, if you want to see why I think I, I would disagree with this, go submit a pull request to AngularJS. Yeah. Because they have bots uh, just because they did try to automate this, and it's just you have to jump through so many hoops. Huh. And for whatever reason, I feel like having a bot tell you the hoops that you have to jump through is also just a bit, like, it feels more frustrating than having human interaction. And we, we could probably, hmm. like, just fix it by having... Text expanders. But no, what if what or, if the bot was simply like, it wasn't saying you have to do this. It was just saying, like, you know, like when you send an email to a company, it's like, uh, you can expect to hear back from us and whatever, <laughs> right? Instead of doing that, so what it would be was like, we've, you know, here's your issue. We have, you know, volunteers look at these issues. We'll try to get around to them. We'll respond to you, mm. you know, to increase the value of the response you're going to get. Like, make sure your issue includes these things, right? So we're not trying to see if they did include it. We're just reminding them. Of the types of things that should be included in an issue, yeah, I mean, like I, what they're getting out of the contributors' guideline, but more in their face because they're going to get an email about it, and because they have to read it. Well, they don't have to read it, but yeah, you know, it's I, easy yeah, to it, miss the it work. Guide. You could potentially do something like scan every single open issue in GitHub, like Code Triage already does, <laughs> and store in a separate uh, database, and and say like, is this the first issue you've ever opened? And like, and we're and we're going to say like, yes, we. Like, thank you, you know, thank you very much. Here's how some things work. I guess you also do run the risk of, like, the contributor's guide on Rails is so long. Right, but the reporting a bug is, is, only, is only a few paragraphs. That's yeah. a small subsection. And, and maybe just, it, it's like, I think that for me, that would be, if I have a bug and it's really critical and I, you know, I, I really want somebody to, like, help me look at it, it makes me feel better, like, if I get something automated that is like, hey, a bunch of people do this and, like, this really helps and it really helps us. Yeah. But 
But, I mean, of course, I've not checked out... I've not tried submitting something to Angular. No, no, it's it's for them. It's you have to sign the CLA. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. So they have a and they and there's an uh, like a bot that responds with a checklist and then checks the stuff off automatically as you do it. Wow, that. Um, and you have okay. to and you have to submit the title of your pull request a certain way. I for one embrace our robotic overlords. <laughs> um, no, I mean, and, and it's not necessarily like that's a good or bad idea. Like what I wanted to do, it's just like I like to think of ways like common things that. Uh, prevent open source maintainers from doing more right. um, and common frustrations in people who are contributing to open source and mostly mostly it's for the first time um, like a lot of people it's like might only ever open up one issue and it's like but but please <laughs> that is very valuable yeah. but also please come back yes yeah yeah like people people who submit multiple commits or multiple issues tend to be in general like productivity increases exponentially over time i think as you get more familiar with the project so like please do come back we want you i mean we want you even if you're just going to come back once but please please come back more so we've talked our friends like code triage.com docsdoctor.org org org. it's it's pretty yeah it's it's difficult to say (laughs) we'll link to those in the show notes and those are like we're constantly talking about ways to get like new people involved right so that like get brings new people to the to the table here Mm -hmm. Like we've talked, we talked with Aaron yesterday. And one of his concerns was like, "That's great, but we still need people that are like committed to larger things and have the time to do like gigantic things." Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on how to go about that? Like he was talking about like getting more companies to sponsor open source. So you do a lot of open source work. Yes. Yeah. So I I like kind of tricked my company into letting me do open source work. Don't <laughs> don't let them know. Nobody nobody let Heroku know that. They currently <laughs> sponsor me to do open source work. Uh, well, okay, so so this is like it sort of started serendipitously, where I I actually do this thing where I um, once deployed a thing in Heroku on a Friday, <laughs> and like a, a new feature on a Friday, and it totally ruined everything and made support like have to stay over the weekend. Basically, <sighs> I mean, it, yeah, and I had to stay over the weekend, and it was just bad. And I was like, we're never doing that again. Yeah, and uh, then I'm just sitting there with this. You know, one day I was just sitting there with a feature in my hands on a Friday, and I'm like, oh, I really want to deploy this. And I was like, well, why don't I do something useful instead? And <laughs> and so so it's like... Instead of deploying this thing that's a bug, I'm going to do something useful. Yeah, that's going to, like, break a bunch of people's apps. Like, you're welcome. You're All, all of you who use Heroku, you're welcome. Um, so I, I got... I started contributing to open source libraries and doing performance stuff. And this, yeah, I, I, this is like a plug for something that was also in my talk. But um, I call it, like, fun... To, and now I'm now naming it and, like, rec- asking other other people to do it and calling it fun day friday mm-hmm. and what actually ended up happening is my company once they saw me contributing a little bit to open source they said oh hey these things are valuable and would start coming to me and being like hey can you work on this thing in rails can't hey some you know some people who were doing an api in the you know over here were having this problem is that something that we can fix for everyone mm-hmm. um, or this is something our customers are having and i don't know that <laughs> I can't necessarily recommend that as a path to get more and, you know, so I went from 20% open t- open source time to, you know, I don't know how much I am at right now. It it kind of ebbs and flows each week. But that is one potential um, is yeah. is to uh, explicitly ask your company for, um, it's like, it's like people, hey, guess what? You're getting bombarded with job offers. 
Um, <laughs> it's like in in addition to negotiating salary, maybe you can also negotiate for some open source time. And it's yeah. like you will be a better developer, and like your company will be a better company for it. And you can even do like like you mentioned, like they would come to you and be like, "We're having this problem. Can you like so you yeah. can you can go you can bring that the other way, right? And be like, you know, uh, our developers keep hitting against like some difficulties in this particular part of Rails or this particular library. Mm-hmm. I want to fix this, yeah. but it's a mess, and I'm gonna need like a week and a half. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Or yeah. like, I'm going to need some time and like pitch them on a project, just like a project that you would do. Like we've all probably pitched teams we've worked on on like, we've got to st- slow down and refactor this part. Right. Mm-hmm. And like it's no, it's not a feature, but I really want to do it. Like that same type of pitching can possibly work for open source work. Yeah, well. no. And I, and I think that is actually pretty good because, because ultimately I don't, and I don't know that there is a single path, but we need, we need some full timers. Yeah. But we also, sure. we also can't expect an Aaron Patterson to enter the community that often. Yeah. Well, and, and they have to come from somewhere as well. You don't, I would say if you had just given me full time to work on Rails, you know, whatever, three years ago, I'd just be like, uh, <laughs> you know what, like, you know, now sure. I've got a kind of a backlog of a bunch of stuff like I don't that I want to look into and, and I have a pretty good idea of how to implement it. And like it does take time to to, to build up this this base level of knowledge. Um, uh, Thought Thoughtbot also has like a what do you call it like Maker's Day or something? Twenty percent investment, day. Oh, investment, investment day. day. Investment day. So we yeah. have Fridays, but like so that helps a lot. Like we can do so much more than like I feel very lucky to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are like those things that you're just like I I can't do this every Friday for the next three weeks or yeah. for I mean, the next eight weeks or yeah, however it's yeah. long. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely plenty <laughs> of things that it's it's like no I need a solid uninterrupted week where it's like I, every day I wake up in the shower thinking about this thing. <laughs> My shower time is very important time. <laughs> um, but then there's also like so adequate record, mm-hmm. the attributes API, like three years, one year, you know, like even just taking a week, mm-hmm. the amount of you know the amount of time it took to do the rewrites required for the attributes API. Like if it was a week here and a week there, the context loss would have just made it impossible. I would have had to relearn so much oh, yeah. every time I got into there. And there are like there 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 are the projects that just require months and months and months of full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe one potential, and 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 again, this is if I knew the answer, like yeah, be yeah, no, problem. of course, no, we're just yeah. Yeah, uh, we're Richard, tell us the answer, please. <laughs> the answer is forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> what is um, six times nine? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one one potential idea is something that's really really interesting to me is like so Ruby together just kind of kind of popped up almost almost seemingly out of nowhere like obviously I know Andre and like like does amazing work and like right. um if you're not familiar Ruby together is it's basically just like this organization that says like hey we want to make Ruby better and together and and they have a they have some goals and they're collecting money and then turning that around and sponsoring people to work on those certain goals yeah. um so I think I actually think it would be interesting to have maybe either more organizations like that or do or maybe even if Ruby or uh, Ruby together became um, like with, with that kind of stuff I, I feel like it's good to have a little bit of competition yeah like um, I mean even even right now there's like uh, Ruby Central mm-hmm. and and like they they also sponsor things so it's like it's you know you've got I Ruby think C- isn't Ruby Central somehow involved with Ruby together I don't I don't know 
Um, the board overlaps one hundred percent. Okay, there, there you go. I mean, um, not not like there's yeah, other board members of Ruby together. But I'm pretty sure all of the board members of Ruby Central are also board members of Ruby together. It's confusing. I don't know. But yeah, the, the like having more options like that, or having more companies involved in yeah. those things to sponsor more people. Yeah, because like companies mean, that make a lot of money off this and maybe don't want to dedicate an entire employee, but can be like, we'll throw some money in here. Yeah. And then maybe they can like let one of their employees like go on an unpaid leave and take some of that money or like contribute some of the money and like mm-hmm. maybe take some from Ruby together or yeah. anything like that like all sorts of options we can consider. But it's definitely a lot easier I think to get a bunch of companies who are saying, "Yeah, we'll pay for a week of open source." Mhm. And and then that all goes to, you know, a person, but then you get enough company, you know, you get 52 companies who can say, "I can pay for one week." And then bada bing bada boom, you have <laughs> a full-time open source salary. Mhm. Right. Uh, like I I I think it would be um amazing if there's almost some sort of like a like you do you do want to be really careful with what you incentivize right um but like in in i've seen a lot of companies be like oh i really want like this feature and everybody else is like uh yeah we don't care why don't you build that and they're like but so it's like we have money but we don't have developers see it's hard though because if if you turn it into that then you get rails inc yeah with Ruby together, they want it, they're they're working on increasing the transparency. But the important thing is that you're 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 paying for Andre, but you don't get to choose what Andre works on. Mm-hmm. You just get to choose whether you want to support what he is working on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a distinction there because we we don't watch. I mean, certainly there's always some corporate interest involved, but we but that can't be the biggest driving factor. And and the op- and the full timers have a huge in- impact on the projects they're on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I concur. Cool. Problem solved. Yeah. All right. There we, you go. We fixed it. <laughs> or we, fi- problem, we fixed open continued. source. <laughs> uh, what else? Do you have anything else you want to plug or anything you're excited about? Do you want right to plug docsdoctor.org or uh, codetriage.com again? <laughs> so I don't, I don't really think we have time to truly go into docsdoctor.org or codetriage.com. But if I was going to talk about docsdoctor.org or codetriage.com, again, I think our listeners might... might uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess our listeners are just going to have to go check it out for themselves. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, if you don't get the joke, it's like when you're listening to a radio commercial and they repeat the same phone number <laughs> like docsdoctor.org <laughs> constantly or codetriage.com alright oh oh keep Ruby weird oh you guys are doing number two uh, oh I'm not gonna, am, I gonna, am I announcing that oh I run are, a conference called keep Ruby weird we're probably most likely having another conference <laughs> are you gonna go with weirder is that keep, thing keep, keep Ruby weirder or weirder I don't know we're working on it alright stay tuned alright alright show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 24 as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Uh, if you have any feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed or email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm or leave any comments on the website. Thanks for listening to the bike shed, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>